Amen. So today we're going to be concluding our uh, series, our summer uh, sermon series called Q&A. So this was a series that we, uh, where we asked the congregation to uh, give us questions. Uh, a number of them have come in. And today's question that I'll be looking at is, can Satan hear our thoughts? Can Satan hear our thoughts? It's actually a very good question. Uh, has very deep theological and spiritual implications. And uh, I was watching this debate that was taking place between two scholars who both happened to be pastors as well. And they were de- talking about this very topic. And they were actually in a debate about it. One was saying that Satan can know and hear our thoughts. The other one was saying that Satan cannot know and hear our thoughts. And so, I mean, most of the debate was over semantics. It was over wording. Um, But one thing that I just got clearly from this debate was that this is a real issue that we need to discuss and talk about because it's not necessarily an easy answer. Okay? And so let's start this morning uh, by talking about who Satan is first. A lot of times in churches, there's very little to no mention of Satan or the enemy. And so I just want to take some time this morning to talk about who he is. Satan is a created being. Okay? Satan is a created being. God created Satan as an angel. And his name was called Lucifer. Isaiah 14, verse 12 says this, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. And so Satan is a fallen angel. Now in the Bible, when we read about angels, we read that they have tremendous power. They do. In Genesis chapter 19, if you remember the story, There's a story of a man named Lot, and he's in this place called Sodom. And there were two angels there with him. The angels had power to strike the men of Sodom with blindness. Okay, so we see that in Genesis 19. In the book of Daniel, chapter 6, it talks about Daniel that was, he was thrown into the lion's den. And in that, God sent an angel to shut the mouths of the lions. Okay, and so what we read in Scripture is that angels have extraordinary power. They do. But the Bible gives no evidence that angels can know our thought life the way God knows our thought life. There's just no scriptural evidence for it. It doesn't say that in Scripture. But it does talk about God and God's knowledge especially in the area of our thought life. God knows our thoughts. Psalm 139 verse 4 says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. God knows our thoughts. Psalm 147, 4 to 5, He determines the number of stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. 1 Chronicles 28, verse 9 says this, For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. 
Finally, in the New Testament, Romans 11.33, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his path beyond tracing out. And so the Bible is very clear. God is the one who possesses all knowledge. God knows all things. That is what omniscient means. God is omniscient. He knows all things, including our thoughts, including the motives behind our thoughts. We don't even know that. Yet God knows that. Satan is a created being. He's under God. I mean, a lot of times we think, you know, there's this thought that it's God on one side, Satan on the other side. Equal opposing powers. Like it's yin-yang. It's not like that. It's not that at all. It's actually a hierarchy. God is, above, God, is God. Satan is a created being. And so his power and knowledge is limited. However, though his power is limited, there is something we need to be aware of. Though Satan may not know our thoughts the way God knows our thoughts, he can definitely influence our thoughts. The Bible talks about that. In fact, it says in Ephesians chapter 6 that we are in a battle. Christians are in a battle. We're all in this battle individually, each and every one of us. And it says that this battle that we are in is not against flesh and blood. The battle that we face is not against people. It's against rulers and powers. What does that mean, rulers and powers? Well, the Greek word for powers is the word exousia. Let me hear you say exousia. Exousia. That word means power to choose or the power of choice. Exousia means influence. And so Paul is saying in Ephesians 6 that the battle that we are in is in the place where we choose, the place where we are influenced, which is our minds. That's where the battle takes place. The Christian battle is in our minds. Well, how does that work? If Satan doesn't know our thoughts, how does he influence our thoughts? Well, like most problems, we have to get to the root of the issue. I have this big weed in my backyard. It's like this tall because it was hidden kind of behind my shed there. This tall, thick, got spikes. If I wanted to get rid of it by just chopping off the branches, yeah, it'll look like the problem is solved, but what's going to happen? It's going to grow back, right? In order for me to get at the root, I got to uproot the thing, which is hard to do because it's all spiky. I don't know how I'm going to do that. But anyway, um, that's what you got to do. You got to get to the root of the issue. And so let's get to the root of this issue by looking at Genesis chapter 3. Let's go to the beginning. I'm going to read a very long passage here. Genesis 3, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? 
And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she gave also some, uh, she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. And the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me fruit of, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. You know, it's funny. We still do this today. We blame shift, right? It's interesting. Adam double blame shifted. Did you eat of the fruit? Well, the woman you gave me, right? He's blaming the woman and God. Oh, man, this is classic. We still do this today. You want to go to the root of the issue? There it is right there, right? We still do this today. The serpent deceived me. All sin begins with a lie. All sin begins with a lie. John chapter 8 verse 44 says that the devil is the father of lies. And so the concept of lying is from Satan. It's from Satan. So though he may not be able to read our minds and know our thoughts the way God does, he can certainly influence our minds by making us believe lies. I have here a little Newton's cradle. I didn't know it was called that. I just thought it was called something. Anyway, Newton's cradle. That's what this is called. And I brought it here to just demonstrate what it's like, how Satan influences our minds. Each of these little uh, balls here represents a lie. Okay? And so there are you know, many different lies that the enemy can uh, feed us to make us believe um, but there's two that are really strong, the two key areas that I want to talk about today, uh, uh, how he influences us, okay? And the first one is this, he attacks our identity. Satan primarily attacks our identity. You know, I find it fascinating that Satan would attack Jesus' identity in the wilderness. You know, when he was being tempted in the wilderness, the first thing that Satan says to him is, if you are the Son of God. Isn't that interesting? If you are the Son of God, then do this. And it's like, what do you mean if? Jesus knew he was the Son of God at age 12. When he was in the temple, he said to his parents, 
Don't you know I have to be about my father's business? At a young age, he referred to God as father, referred to himself as son of God. At 12, of course he knew his identity, but Satan still attacked his identity. If Satan would attack Jesus' identity, listen, he's going to attack our identity head on, forcefully, every time. John chapter 1, verse 12 says this about who we are in Christ. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Those who are in Christ Jesus are given the right to be called sons and daughters of God. It's been given to us. But here's the thing. We sing about this. There are songs we sing about. I am a child of God. The reason why we sing and we sing and we sing about this is because we forget it. Because the, the, Satan wants us to forget it by feeding us lies, saying that we are less than that. That we are unworthy of being called that. That I haven't done enough to make myself right with God. Here's the truth, church. There is nothing you can do to be right with God. Nothing. It is a gift from God to you, to me. Not by blood, nor of the will of man, nor of the will of the flesh, but of God. Being a child of God is something we receive. It's an, it's an identity we receive. It is imparted to us. We don't earn it. We receive it by faith. And it is something we need to stand firm in daily. Daily telling ourselves. But by the grace of God, I am a child of God. I am a son of the King. I am a daughter of the King. If we stand in the identity of a son and a daughter, we will behave like sons and daughters. But if we believe that we are less than that, we will behave that way. And we'll be stuck in that slave mentality. If I keep telling myself that I'm going to fail, I'm a failure, no good, I keep failing, I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail. But if I tell myself, from the Word of God, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Standing firm in that, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But man, the devil doesn't want that. So he feeds us lies. And so some of these ball bearings, balls here are unworthy, unacceptable, failure, 
I'm a failure. Too far. I'm, I'm just not right with God. I'm too far. And so on. Another major area where Satan throws lies at us is this. That we must seek the things of the world for pleasure. Satan makes us believe that we must seek the things of the world for pleasure. Now, I'm not saying that we need to cease having pleasure in the things of this world. I love softball. Right, guys? That was awesome. We played an incredible week tournament, to be honest. I just want to say this. Just a little plug. Totally, totally up the side. Last three years, we won six games. Okay? In three years. This year, we pulled together as a team. We believed that we could do it. And guess what? We did it. And we are the champions. Oh, man, I'm going to live this one for a while. Right, guys? It just feels so good, man. I saw pictures come up on Facebook already. I shared them and all this. And yeah, just very proud. Now, of course, that is a worldly thing. And yes, it's fun. And that's okay. I love camping. I love things. I love my car. I love the fact that I even have a car. It's so thankful to God. I have a fishing rod. I love my fishing rod. Why? Because it gives me pleasure. These things give me pleasure, joy in this life. However, if those things are chief in my pursuit of pleasure in this life, I will become disappointed at some point because those things cannot fulfill me totally. They can't. I'll find myself disappointment. It'll come up empty every time because the things of this world cannot give me everlasting pleasure and joy. Yet, for some reason, my soul craves everlasting pleasure and joy. It craves it. It's like we were built for it. We crave it. And when we look at the things of this world, they tell us, oh, we will offer you everlasting joy and pleasure. And when we go after it, obtain it, we find that it was a lie. It's not true. When I got my BlackBerry Z10, it lasted two days, man, and there's already another phone that's out. That joy lasted two days. This is true of all things in this world, church. We were built with a craving for God who meets that need for everlasting pleasure and joy. God fills that need and void in us perfectly, totally. Yet Satan will throw temptations and lies to pull us away from that. They become distractions.
First Peter 1 verse 8 says this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Peter is talking about God, what it's like when you come to know God. What happens to somebody? Their eyes become open to the abounding, steadfast love of God. When we come to know God, our hearts become full like never before. Our hearts become filled for the first time, totally. Our souls become satisfied for the first time, totally. That is why there is joy inexpressible, filled with glory to those who come to know the love of God. There is no greater love than God's love for us. We were created to crave and to find God's love. Don't let the enemy pull you away for a counterfeit. It will never fulfill you. And so there's a couple more balls there, right? The things of this world I need to pursue and chase after. And then all of a sudden, one lie throws all the other lies and it doesn't stop. One lie after another that feeds another, that feeds another, and our minds just keep cycling and cycling. Fear, fear, disappointment, anger, anxiety. Just keeps going and going and going. And this becomes a stronghold in our minds. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3 to 5 says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. This passage is precisely talking about the war in our minds. And he uses the term strongholds. Now that word in Greek literally means castle or fortress. Okay? So that's what that word means. And so what it's saying is that the lies of the enemy, the arguments, the lofty opinions that are raised against God, these lies form a castle in our minds, a fortress in our minds. And, and essentially what's happening is the enemy is finding a place where he can inhabit in that fortress of lies in our minds. Not saying that he possesses us, but he builds a place where he can influence us and continue to influence us with lies over and over and over and over and over. 
But the beauty of this passage is that Christians have the authority to destroy these strongholds. We do. We have divine power to demolish these strongholds. Part of how we do that is to be aware of it. We need to be aware that we're in a battle. We are, each and every one of us. And so this morning, I want to give us three keys, very quickly, three keys to destroying the strongholds and to halt these patterns of thinking that are influenced by Satan. Number one, test your thoughts. Test your thoughts. Not every thought you think is correct. The truth is, our minds are not perfect. They are broken. The Bible talks about this. The Bible talks about confused minds, depraved minds, evil minds. They're broken. Our minds are not perfect. We say things about situations, oh, that's not so bad, when it really is bad. Or we think thoughts about certain people. Maybe they've said something. We take it totally out of context. And it's like all these thoughts, onslaught of negative thoughts towards others that are not true. We need to test these thoughts and take them captive. Make them obedient to Christ. Well, how do we do that? A good place to start, church, is to pray. Pray over a thought that causes tension in your mind. When you have a thought that seemingly is doing this and you're stuck, just stop for a moment. Just stop for a moment and pray. Could be a thought that causes fear, doubt, anger, anxiety, anxiousness. The Bible says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, present your requests to God. What happens when we do that? The peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So if we have a thought, that is stealing the peace of God in our hearts and our minds. Pray over that thought. Ask God what this is all about. So that's how we test our thoughts. Number two, guard your mind. Guard your mind. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. There's a principle with our hearts and our minds. Garbage in, garbage out. Garbage in, garbage out. We need to be careful what we feed our minds, the information that we give it. There is bad things that we feed our minds. Of course there is. And those things that we feed, they begin to fester in there and it flows out of our lives. Shame. Anger, frustration, worry, anxiety just spews out. And so we need to guard 
what we feed it. Proverbs 15 verse 14 says, The discerning heart seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on foley. So we need to be careful what we are feeding our minds. So what we need, church, is to be people of God's Word. We need to be in the Word daily. Not just once a week on Sunday. Now for sure, a part of the preaching ministry is to feed the sheep. Like what Peter was told from Jesus, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And so part of the Sunday is to be fed as a body. But church, we need it daily, daily, on our own time with God. If we come on Sunday only, our souls will starve and we won't have the proper nourishment to attack the lies of the enemy. And so be people of the word. Feed your mind daily bread. In fact, we have our daily bread. I want to encourage you. Pick one of these up. We have a bunch of these out there in the foyer. I have one. Do you know where I keep this? In my bathroom. Just to let you know, okay? (laughs) You know, if I'm spending some time there, might as well read the word, right? Sometimes I feel guilty. Should I be doing this? Anyway, that's just me. But seriously, our daily bread we do not live alo- on, on bread alone, but every word that comes from God. Guard your minds. Let us be people of the word. Finally, number three, ask God to show you the things that you do not see. Ask God to show you the things you do not see. The Bible talks about the devil blinding the minds of unbelievers. I believe he can blind the minds of believers also from knowing what is truly holding us captive. But the truth is, I mean, we said this from the beginning, God knows all things. He discerns our thoughts from afar. God is the one who knows. And so ask God to show you. David wrote this in Psalm 139. 23, 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. David asked God, God, show me. He needed to ask him, is there anything here that you need to... Show me, God, that is grievous to you. Show me. Show me. And God will show you. And we need to take that time with God. Take that time in His Word. With the Word. With a journal. I want to encourage you, for those of you uh, who don't have a journal, I would encourage you to get a journal. There are times when you can read one verse for a week just one verse for a week and it feeds your soul and it speaks directly into situations in your life like nothing else write those down write down those revelations that you're receiving from that one verse could be I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength when you're in the midst of struggle 
when, in the, when you're in the midst of trial, God is with me and I can do this through God who gives me strength. And write that down. God may give you an impression, a strong impression in your mind about a certain situation, a certain person, whatever it might be. God often does this to me when I have kind of a, when I get offended in any way over someone, you know, just um, when you don't have nice thoughts about someone. Lord, what's the deal here? He gives me just a, a peace knowing that, you know, they're not perfect. They have things that they deal with too. Have grace. Okay, write that down. There's been times where I've referred back to my journal, referred back to those times that God gave me truth and it feeds my soul again years down the road, especially when it comes to the faithfulness of God. And when I see God's truth and I experience God's truth, it sets us free, sets me free, sets us free to experience sonship and daughtership. It sets us free to experience the Father's love. And it sets us free to overcome the lies of the enemy and to demolish strongholds. So church, may the Lord bless you in your minds, each and every one of you. May He show you the lies, exposing them for what they truly are, weakening their strength and increasing the strength of His truth in your life. May God's truth give you strength and nourishment for your soul. And may you be encouraged to live victoriously in your minds. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, Your word says that as your disciples, we would know your truth and the truth would set us free. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that enlightens your word. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence that you continue to speak to us and guide us in your way. God, I ask that you would Show us more of who you are and who we are. That the more we seek you, the more we find you, the more we find you, the more we love you. And this satisfaction has no end. It keeps going and going. We love you, Lord. Please be with us this week, Lord. Help us to be victorious in our minds and stand firm in the identity you've given us as a son and a daughter of the Most High God. In Jesus' name we prayed. All God's people said, Amen.